0: The title of today's message is The Pirates of Amaranth. And we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. It says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fades not away. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray once again, Lord God, that you would anoint your word and anoint the ears of the hearers this morning that we may uh, be able to see, hear, and receive. And once again, Father, just do the work that only your word can do in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 We're going to um, we're going to start this morning in First Corinthians chapter two. But before I get started, I want to tell you a little story um, about a a pirate. A uh, story that I saw played out. And uh, it's probably one that we've all seen multiple times. This is something that I guess pirates used to do back in the day. I don't know, know any pirates, but... Um, there was this uh, one, one pirate in particular uh, on board a ship where, um, as pirates do, they were seeking out an island that had uh, treasure on it. And, of course, to get to that island, to get to the treasure, they have the typical uh, treasure map. Uh, however, this treasure map was like a book and um very very detailed every page was necessary but in particular in the middle of the book there was one page uh and once they got to a certain point all they needed was this one page to um to fulfill the quest and uh, one of the guys on on board the ship uh somehow figured this out and decided that he was going to rip this page out uh which ended up having part of a map but also a lot of instructions on it uh in order to sell it uh point I guess being that um, he wasn't quite sure whether the treasure was going to be there when they actually got there. And he figured uh, a sure way to make uh, a couple of bucks out of it was to sell it to other people who had heard of it and, and were willing to take the risk that it would be there. So he, uh, he had to figure out a way to smuggle this, uh, this piece of paper onto land and to get it sold. And uh, by the time that he had found buyers, he actually ended up finding multiple buyers and committed to one group and then committed to another group. And uh, on the way to uh, this particular place where the ship was headed, of course, the captain of the ship and the crew figured out that a page was missing uh, out, of their, out of their treasure booklet, if you will. And uh, it was the, uh, the necessary page, the most valuable page of the whole thing. And they, uh, they searched the ship. They searched people that they suspected and they couldn't find it. And they figured out the last minute when they got there who had actually taken the page, but at that point, he had already disembarked from the ship and was on his way to try to find these buyers. Now, uh, he upset the two different groups because he had made both of them promises, and once they figured out that he wasn't fulfilling his word, um, they were both after him, and he wanted to try to negotiate between the two for the highest price, but they weren't really hearing it, and they just wanted that piece of paper, and now they were upset that he didn't, he didn't come through with his word, so... Um, his life was in danger, and then of course the ship that he came off of, the the people that actually, whose piece of paper that it was, uh, they were following him, and they wanted to uh, do not nice things to him as well, and eventually he got caught up in this, uh, in this triad, if you will, uh, life and death type situation, and he figured the only possible way that he was going to come out of this thing alive is if he memorized all the instructions and all the details of this piece of paper and this map that he had in his hand, and then destroyed it. So that by the time they caught him, which they did, there is no possible way that they could kill him because the only copy of those instructions and of that map that existed was in his mind. So he had potentially transferred, now this treasure was supposed to be upwards of five million dollars worth and this was way back when so I mean multiply that by whatever inflation and then seventeen trillion dollars for Obama's debt or whatever you have to do to, to figure out how much it would be worth nowadays and uh, and it was pretty valuable. So he had potentially shifted billions to trillions of dollars of value and wealth from one place to another place, in particular from uh, a, a parchment, a piece of paper, into his own life, where before he was running around with this piece of paper that was worth billions and trillions of dollars, that piece of paper now was completely worthless because it had been burned and destroyed, and by memorizing what was on that, he now became worth billions and trillions of dollars. So the transfer of value and the transfer of wealth from the paper to the man. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7 says that we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. The hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory. Everybody say hidden. hidden. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery. So we have two uh, sort of ambiguous words here in mystery and Hidden speaking about the wisdom of God we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory i want to talk to you real quickly about the nature of glory there's there's no more powerful uh, no more amazing and uh, no no word in the entire bible itself that contains any more depth than the word glory Uh, The word glory, as far as man is concerned, as far as God is concerned with man, according to the story of Moses, man is really only able to partake in just a portion of what glory really is. See, there's, there's manifestation of God, there is the presence of God, and then there is the glory of God. The presence of God can fill a room, the presence of God can fill a building, the presence of God can fill the entire earth but it is still less in magnitude than the glory of God. When the glory of God enters into a place, it can only enter in a little bit at a time. Just a portion of God's glory sent Moses down. Moses, who wrote the first five books of the Bible, sent him down from the mountaintop, having to wear a veil over his face, because the the shine and the aura of what was emanating from him by experiencing just a portion of God's glory was so great that it could have potentially blinded people. We see that happen somewhat again when Paul is on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians and God uh, has a different plan and he shows up in a portion of his glory and the light is so bright that it literally does blind Paul and it knocks the soldiers off their horses and things of that nature. So we see the glory of God is intense to the point where it is actually dangerous, although it is a good thing. First Corinthians two seven, kind of understanding the nature of glory. Now this is this is not necessarily talking about God's glory, but sort of the transfer of a portion of His glory onto us. We speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom, which God ordained before the world unto our glory. What was ordained before the world unto our glory? God's wisdom the nature of which is hidden and mysterious. 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 4 actually let's go to Proverbs 25 and 2 since we're talking about the nature of God's glory. Not only is it powerful, not only is it dangerous, but according to Proverbs chapter 25 verse number 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter. Everybody say hidden. 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 So we see an Old Testament verse that's kind of reiterating what we just read in in the book of 1 Corinthians, that uh, the nature of God's glory, it's wrapped up in wisdom, and it is concealed in a mystery. So God's glory is not just on the surface waiting to be experienced for anybody that decides that day or that week that they're going to walk into a church building or have a Bible study or open up His Word or go into their prayer closet. God's glory is not a, a fickle thing that He that He lays out on the table for whosoever decides to walk in at any given point and give God some of their attention. Um, God is not um, He's not a girlfriend. He's not a boyfriend. He is not out. Uh, he is not out searching for love. Despite what we saw at the at the singles thing, uh, he is not out. He is not out searching for love. He is not. Um, he is not feigning, he is, he is not so wanting, he is not so lonely, he is not so needy that he's willing to take the most valuable part of himself, the most vulnerable part of himself, if you will. i am using that word, speaking as a man of God is, is really not vulnerable, but you understand what I'm saying. Um, he's not willing to unveil that and disclose that just for whosoever decides to look in his direction or step in his direction. You don't even get to necessarily experience God's glory because you came up to an altar, got down on your hands and knees, and accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. There could be an argument for uh, maybe participating in a portion of his glory, but you know there are, there's a such thing as backsliding. There's a such thing as uh, as, as falsity in the kingdom of God as well. He, so his glory is not, again, it is not just readily available. You can't just pick it up uh, for a prescribed uh, price. You can't decide that, you know what? At salvation, if I say this prayer, if I go to a, a Billy Graham evangelistic meeting, and it's nothing—it's Billy Graham. I'm just trying to think of the best of the best. No matter where you go, there is no uh, there, there. There's no prescription. Once again, there's no set of directions to follow. They can show you how to experience God's glory. It is hidden. It is concealed. And it is wrapped up in uh, in wisdom. Proverbs 25, 2. The glory of God is the concealed thing. The honor of kings is to search and matter out. Now, the Bible says in the New Testament that we are a, a kingdom of priests, that we are all priests and kings with God. So it is our honor to search out the concealed hidden wisdom of God. If you really think about that for a second, it might put a different spin on what you formally have been introduced to or what you've formally been taught the purpose of churches or the purpose of God's word is. It's sold to us. So often uh, and so many times as kind of a, a moral code, um, sort of a, 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 a um, an antiquated uh, list of of do's and don'ts that can can teach us how to live to a godly standard that uh, we can follow. S- sort of the sayings of Jesus and just be like better people or whatever the case may be. That the Bible is uh, is basically uh, what is what is the acronym basic instructions before leaving Earth. You know why I was about to say that? <laughs> hey, you didn't raise your hand. I don't appreciate that. Basic instructions before leaving Earth. Yes, that's the acronym. Um, when it's cute, but it's not. it's not completely accurate. It's not just basic instructions before leaving Earth, it is according to just a few scriptures that we read. Uh, It contains wisdom, it contains mysteries, it contains glory, it contains the concealment of the wisdom of God, and it is not given to us just so that we can follow an antiquated moral code, but it has been delivered to us so that as kings and priests with God, we have the honor of opening it up and searching out the depths of his wisdom, because when you begin to experience just an iota of the depth of the wisdom that is wrapped up in God's word you begin to get a glimpse, just a small glimpse of what it is to participate in his glory. Because his glory is concealed in his word. But concealed specifically means that it it, it doesn't rest on the surface. So his glory is not that thou shalt not covet. His glory is not uh, that thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not steal. These, These things don't begin to unveil the glory of God. These things begin to unveil the character of God but if you want to experience something beyond his character and you want to you want to traverse into the realm of his glory, you've got to break beyond the surface of his word, dive underneath and find little bits of that concealed hidden wisdom of God. Now, when you do this, it becomes much, much more than just a set of directions about what you should or shouldn't do that may or may not have had very much of an effect on your life or your friend's life or your family's life. Maybe it maybe you're a Christian that, that is completely sold out to god but you have a hard time witnessing and and, and and showing other people why or convincing them as to as to how or they should do things or what they should do or again them to come to church or listen to a podcast or open their bible whatever maybe it's, it's difficult because all that we have are sort of surface level understandings about that they've already learned when they were in sunday school as a kid or cabin school as a chance or whatever it may be that may or may not be correct But if we dive just a little bit underneath the surface of what's sitting there, we can begin to drop little nuggets into people's lives, little little morsels, if you will, like like Hansel and Gretel. You need to see um, you need to see these little bits of bread crumbs. And the Bible, of course, does say of itself that that is the hidden wisdom and manna of God and the bread from heaven. And if we can just show them sort of this trail, it can lead them back to their to their home or to their father, if that makes sense. Let's go to uh, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. But let it be the hidden man of the heart, and that which is not corruptible, even the ornament, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. Let's read that again. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. What that's talking about is the spirit. Let it be the hidden man of the heart. Everybody say hidden. And hidden. that which is not corruptible, of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. The hidden man of the heart is in the sight of God of great price. So there is something valuable about what should be hidden inside of us. I want to go to Luke chapter 17, verse 21, and then we'll talk about that a little more. Luke seventeen twenty-one. Neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is, everybody say within. Within. Within you. The kingdom of God is within you. So what we are supposed to be as Christians are not just mouthpieces of what we've been taught in Sunday school or what we've been taught. At, at church or church service Or what we've been taught by mom and dad And grandma and grandpa and that's all good stuff We're not supposed to simply be A repeat of a repeat of a broken record Of the Ten Commandments Or the, or some of the New Testament scriptures Or the Golden Rule or things that Jesus said It's good to know those things and repeat those things But the Bible says here In Luke chapter 17 verse 21 That as a Christian You hold the great responsibility Of ownership Partial ownership in the kingdom of God. That the kingdom of God does not exist just outside of you, based on uh, rhetoric of, of what we've been taught or what we've heard or even what we've read. But the kingdom of God exists within you. Um, let me try it like this. So he he is asking us, literally, he is asking us, and he is desiring us to be like the pirate in the story, minus stealing things and being a pirate general. <laughs> But he he is asking that we don't just run around, if you will, we don't just run around with the 17 trillion dollar treasure map that has instructions on it and has directions on it and can show people where to go. He doesn't want us to have that in our back pocket so we can pull it out at some time when really and truly what all that we're doing is seeking our own treasure and trying to find uh, the highest bidder, things of that nature, like that, like that pirate himself was doing. I'll let you make the analogies in your own life, but he is not just really wanting us to run around with this thing in our back pocket. He's wanting us to sit down for a minute Take a real hard look at it as if our life depended on it and get this thing from outside of us to inside of us. And then we can take the 17 trillion dollars, so to speak, whatever, throw it in the fire and it can be burned because we can understand that. You know what? We don't need to give people that piece of paper. We need to transfer the value of what's written on that thing to inside of us. So no longer is it just the value based on the black and white written ink of the Bible, but that value has been transferred onto me and you. These are the words of eternal life. But I don't just want the words of eternal life on the outside. I don't just want uh, a, a manual that I can pull out and show you my instructions about where eternal life is located. I want to take that thing, memorize that thing, and learn and understand that thing, dive into the hidden wisdom of God, and as the Bible says, get that thing hidden in me, that that hidden man, according to the book of Peter, that is where the value lies inside of you. That is a great price to God it is incorruptible, it is meek, it is godly in nature, and when you get that thing transferred, the value of eternal life from outside of you to inside of you, then when people come looking, they have something to relate to. It's not just the well, here you go. Here's a New Testament Bible plus Psalms and Proverbs. I've never understood why the Psalms and Proverbs I mean, they're if Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon; those all travel together. Those four books. So we just take the Psalms and Proverbs and, and put them in there anyway. Uh, here's that. Here's the podcast. Here's the notes from our last church service. Here's whatever you know. The, all those things are good, and you should lead people in that direction. But the kingdom of God isn't in those things. It is to a degree, but the way that it gets displayed is by those things finding a home inside of you. Amen. And then the kingdom of God can be birthed inside of you. Yes. That's part of the value of being born again. The kingdom of God being birthed inside of you. Because a book, as good as it is, a book cannot hug somebody. A book cannot walk up to a person, lay hands on them, and pray with them. A book can't open a door. A book can't pour into your life uh, whenever you're in need and you need you need help paying your rent. A book can't feed you physically, I mean it can feed you spiritually, which is more important. I understand that. But you understand what I'm saying? The book doesn't walk around. The book doesn't talk. The book doesn't have hands. We are the body of Christ. When somebody walks into the church, it's not the Bible that makes them feel loved. Eventually, they'll feel the love of God from that. But God didn't say that this is his body. He said that we are his body. We are the body of Christ. We are the church. Because when we get those words in us, the value is transferred from paper. That's why it's the living word, right? Can I, can I go that direction? Can we make that? I mean, I know we like to just pull the, pick up the Bible and say that it is the living word of God and I'm not going to cross theological swords and tell you, that it is not a living word but I've just seen a lot of people pick up this same book have no desire to get to know God but make a real catchy A&E or History Channel special out of it and the information and the angle and the direction and the motivation is just way off it's alive when it becomes alive in you when it's transferred from physical manifestation to the flesh and blood hidden man Keep that in mind while we read uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 4. 1 Peter 5 and 4 says, When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory. Everybody say glory. Glory. That shall not fade away. Thank you. a crown of glory that fadeth not away or that shall not fade away when that shepherd shall appear the chief shepherd what's going to happen is that kingdom of God that that glory that we feel by unveiling the hidden wisdom of God and that mystery now this isn't really applicable for right now per se but when we get to that place in that heavenly realm We're going to wear that glory like a crown. How is that applicable to us right now? Well, that speaks of a certain level of value. If you are a prince, which you are with God, if you are a princess, which you are with God, I don't mean that to be cheesy, but if you understand that one day you are going to wear a crown, and right now you've been given ownership over... Uh, the maintenance of that crown that you're going to unveil one day. and It's going to mean so much. You'd want to take great care of it. You want to understand the things that you're learning now, the things that you're doing now, uh, the life that you're participating in right now is going to dictate that crown that you wear that's coming in the near future. But I want to I want to speak to you real quickly about one particular word here. When the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory, That fadeth not away. This is the only place in the Bible that this word appears in the Greek. It's the word for fading not away, and it's a word called amaranth. And as the title uh, pertains pertaining to the title, the Pirates of Amaranth, this is the this is the only time that this word appears in the Bible. So where you read in English a crown of glory that fades not away, what it actually reads in Greek is a crown of glory that is composed of amaranth a crown of glory that is composed of amaranth. So we're actually getting the ingredients, the breakdown of how this crown is built. Amaranth is a flower and it is so translated as fading not away because it never withers or fades. This particular flower, when it is plucked off, as it begins to die, will completely revive if moistened with water. It is a symbol of uh, perpetuity and immortality, this amaranth flower. This amaranth flower is uh, is very, very unique. People in other parts of the world consume the leaves, consume the seeds. I'm not sure about the flower itself, but it's used in a lot of different ways. It is very medicinal. It contains amino acids that you don't find in any other grains or any other type of flower. Sometimes it's combined. Uh, so that you get a full chain you can literally um, have sort of a vegetarian type diet and get the full uh, array of amino acids that you need to complete protein structure in your body and you know how people always talk about vegetarians not being able to get their protein that they have to get it from somewhere a supplement or whatever well if you combine amaranth into your diet you actually get the full gamut of all the amino acids that you need not by itself but when you combine it with with other grains that are in everyday use you get the full, uh, the full gamut so that you actually have a complete strain, at least uh, 22 amino acids, uh, for the proteins. Uh, interestingly enough, the 22 amino acids, the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet that we talked about a few weeks ago, uh, in order to complete that, uh, you, you actually need this amaranth to be combined in a vegetarian diet. Uh, parts, of the, parts of the flour itself are, uh, can, uh, are anti-carcinogenic or they're used to fight cancer in some parts of the world. It's very uh, potent in a very good way, but one of the uh, probably the, the most um, the most popular or the most understood character or quality of this amaranth flower is uh, the beautiful nature of the colors that it contains. It is said that uh, the amaranth flower, as a family, as a complete family, contains all of the uh, all of the colors of the rainbow, and then you, know, you can you can Google amaranth flower f-l-o-w-e-r if you want and look at some of the uh, images that you'll find on Google Images and uh, you'll see uh, it's just a different array of colors a different way that the flower is structured some of the colors hang down like like uh, upside down spikes I don't know if those are stalagmites or whatever those are called anyway um, the ones that point down and then um, then there's, some of them are just regular flowers some of them buds some of them don't but you have all these different colors and it's actually uh, throughout uh, throughout history, there have been multiple poets and authors, and uh, in Aesop's fable, you find a reference to these amaranth flowers that have spoken and uh, that, have, that have just gone on uh, on and on about the beauty of these flowers. We haven't heard of them, uh, probably a lot of us in here, because it's, it's not part of modern-day literature, but it has been in the past. And they say that if you were ever to walk up on a natural field of blooming amaranth plants, that it's, it's like looking at a hill uh, of rainbows and something that's literally hard to imagine uh, in your head but when the Bible says that when that great shepherd comes when that final shepherd comes we shall receive a crown of glory that is composed of amaranth it is not just a regular crown that you think of like a gold or silver or with jewels and all those things that are present in the book of revelation and other places but it also contains this particular flower this particular amaranth that never fades away never fades but it's not a flower that is found in heaven it is a flower that is found on earth there's a physical manifestation of it right now you can literally pluck it out of the ground if it begins to die you just put a few drops of water on it and it will, it will revive now taking the physical things that God made like Romans chapter 1 verse 20 where he says all the invisible things of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that he made even his eternal power and Godhead so that they are without excuse then that gives me, I think, poetic license, if you will, to go ahead and understand that we're not going to receive that crown of glory until the great shepherd comes, but there's manifestations of that glory that are already present on earth. So if I was going to tell you right now, you can take the full value of God's word, which, by the way, uh, 30,000 plus scriptures, 66 books, he didn't give us any of them so that we would not understand them. Worship team, go ahead and come up. But he gave he gave us all of the books, all the scriptures, all of the authors so that we could at some point understand the whole thing. None of the word of God is so mysterious or so cryptic that it cannot be cracked, if you will, right here, right now in this life. And I think we've made uh, progress and we've shown uh, in our short time here at Edgewater at least a motivation in that direction. We can't say that we understand Every single thing from beginning to end, but I know that when people began to break down the word of God to me the way that we try to do here, it at least gave me the idea. It gave me the motivation to get into his word and understand. You know what? I don't understand all of it, but I clearly see that all of it can be understood. As so if you have the tools, if you have the time, and you have leadership that has the ability, it can all be understood. My point in all of that is to, is to tell you this. We are on a journey. Let me put it to you like this. Using the the analogy of the pirates. Uh, part of the nature of a pirate is that he or she lives on a ship. And the ship is necessary because they always seem to find themselves out in the deep parts of the ocean. Not while there is a certain romance involved in the novelty of the idea of being a pirate, at least back in the day, the peg leg, eye patch, black pirate—not the—not uh, the ones that call themselves pirates today—but obviously the, uh, the costumes, um, the time period, the art, the artistry that goes into it, just the idea. Every you know, we all have sort of a, a romantic idea, and I think somewhere in some part of our mind of. of pirating back in the day. I didn't want to be one, but there's something cool about it, right? So to speak. Anyway, uh, however cool it might have been, there weren't people filling out applications and waiting in line and just um, desiring with every bit of their heart to be uh, a pirate because it was a dangerous, dangerous life. And I submit to you this. That danger goes hand in hand with the deep, the depths of the ocean that they traverse. If you, um, if you live a life on the shoreline, there are certain things that you can do on the shore that you can't do out in the deep parts of the ocean. On the shore, um, you can build a tropical paradise. On the shore, the shoreline of the beach, if you will, there's palm trees and coconuts and Um, Swiss Family Robinson type stuff. You can have the straw huts. You can lay around out in the sun. You can get a golden tan. You can throw a hammock up out there. You can find resorts and things of that nature. Uh, Now, of course, we're talking about more back in the day. I guess there are ships that have resorts on them nowadays, but when you are talking about making a permanent dwelling on the shore. We're thinking of tropical shores, but even just look at where you're at now. I mean, you're, you're on land. You can make a dwelling place, and it's, it can be luxurious. It can be nice. But to try to make a dwelling place out in the deep, there's just certain things you can do here that you can't do there. The further out that you get into the ocean, you don't see tropical paradises. You don't see two-story brick homes. You don't see white picket fences. You don't see swimming pools. You go really deep out in the ocean, and really the only thing you see right now are oil rigs. Those are the things that get built way out. Those are the only permanent structures that you see out in the depths of the ocean. There's nothing too romantic about being a worker on one of those oil rigs. It's considered one of the toughest jobs in the world because you have to spend so much time away from your family. If you have one, it's so dangerous. Um, There's all different types of things that can happen to you, uh, whether they end up being fatal or not. Just a real dangerous place to be. My point is, the deeper that you go... Uh, The less people that you see wanting to be part of what's going on in the depths, because out of the depths, it's just a little more dangerous. There's just a little more sacrifice involved. Uh, There's just a few more rules that have to be established. Uh, There's certainly a payoff at the end of the day. Uh, My point being, as the pirates of Amaranth, if you will, I believe that God is calling us. To not just live a life on the shoreline, live a life of a luxurious Christian, uh, live a life that you know, surrounded by our four walls and our heating and our AC systems. And the, now, I'm not talking about physically that you need to live your house, leave your house, but I'm talking about in a spiritual manner. I don't believe that He's wanting us to just sit on the shoreline, uh, to sit on the sidelines, if you will, in our nice padded pews and our and our and our big buildings and things of that nature and and just be those Christians that can come to church and leave church and quote the surface level scriptures of the Bible. But I believe that God, especially the closer that he, that he approaches his return, and he's coming to deliver to us crowns that fade not away, crowns that are composed of amaranth, which are cognizant and, and reminiscent of his glory, his colorful, never-ending, never-fading, undying glory, that he's calling us away from the shoreline of Christianity, out into the depths of Christianity. He wants us to be willing to leave our nice, comfortable home of Christianity, if you will, And traverse out into the depths on the ships, traverse out into the oil rigs, and it's a little bit more costly and it's a little bit more dangerous, but you have to decide, how long can you really survive living the Christian life on the shoreline? It's a little bit more safe, but it's a lot less exciting. And I think a lot of the casualties that we find in the church are people that have been sold. Surface, right? The bright smiles, the fluff, the John 3:16, the popular scriptures, the T-shirts, the bumper stickers, the fun groups, the big screens, the satellite creatures the brief and and uh, friendly altar calls. It's. It can be a dangerous thing to build a church where somebody in the back is allowed to have a message in tongues. Somebody in the front is allowed to have interpretation. Somebody over here is allowed to scream hallelujah for the spirit of God. Somebody over here is allowed to fall on their knees. Somebody over here is allowed to weep and cry out. That's not comfortable for everybody. That's not shoreline stuff. That's not brick walls and central air. That's sort of outside the bounds. That's going a little bit deeper and approaching church with the mentality of wanting to experience a little bit of God's glory. Almost everybody wants to experience His presence, but it's not even easily defined within the body of Christ when we've experienced His presence and when we have not. I'm going to give you this idea. I'm not saying you can't survive without touching God's glory, but I'm telling you, you're going to want to survive a lot longer. You're going to want a lot more of God. You're going to believe in a lot more of what you read and hear and feel. And you're going to be able to walk a lot further and a lot closer to Him if you go ahead and make that decision and desire to be, if you will, a pirate of Amaranth, one that seeks His glory, who's willing to take that treasure map burn it and memorize it and know it so that there's a transfer of value from this into this and you're willing to walk out and do your best to touch his glory even if it means you have to wear a veil when you come back down the mountain because you're not as worried about everybody in the camp that wants to know why you're wearing a veil as you are about the fact that you have to experience God's glory. It's calling you away from the shoreline and into the deep. Maybe you've had a taste of Christianity before. Maybe you feel like you've only gotten a taste up to this point. What I want to encourage you to do through today's message is to get this word inside of you. Get it inside of you. Let it live inside of you. Don't build fences. Don't build boundaries. Try to listen for his voice and try to follow his lead and do what he asks you to do. You're going to meet resistance for sure, and not everyone's going to understand it, just like they didn't understand Moses when he came back down. But uh, you're setting yourself up for being able to touch his glory again. And the only way to get further into it is to develop a taste for it. It's like practice makes perfect kind of thing. The more that you experience His glory, the further you can go. In His glory. God is good. Amen. Amen. Amen? Let's stand to our feet this morning.